Extraordinary Districts, a podcast series from the Education Trust that investigates what ordinary school districts do to get extraordinary results. This is the second part of a three-part episode in which we are exploring why the elementary schools in Steubenville, Ohio, are at the top of the country in terms of academic performance. In part one, we heard folks in Steubenville talk about the pride and history of Steubenville City Schools, which have long been open, integrated, and committed to excellence. But in 2001, the Ohio legislature passed a law that said unless fourth graders passed a state reading assessment, they could not be promoted to fifth grade. I'm not discussing whether that policy is a good idea. A lot of research argues against it. But no matter what they thought of the policy, the educators in Steubenville were stuck with it, and they were worried about the students they would have to hold back in fourth grade. So what did they do? We heard one clue to what they did in the last segment. They applied for a federal grant. Let's hear from Richard Ranallo. He had been a teacher, a social worker, and a principal, and later he would be superintendent. But in 2001, he was the federal grants coordinator for Steubenville. When I became federal coordinator, the state and the federal were saying, look for innovative programs, but look for school-wide Title I programs that could make a difference. And that's when we uh, went in and started studying all and doing the research on all the effective programs. And there was direct instruction, there was accelerated schools, they had a lot of different models. Those of you who have been around education for a while will know what Ronaldo is talking about. But if not, you may not be aware that back in 1997, the federal government created a grant program for high poverty schools which adopted proven comprehensive school reform programs. Let's unpack that a little. Comprehensive school reform programs are programs that aim to improve school-wide performance rather than just work on one aspect of a school, such as remedial math or improving student attendance. Many whole school programs had been developed in the 1980s and 90s. Direct instruction was one. Others went by names like America's Choice, Accelerated Schools, and Connect. Mr. Ranallo urged the teachers in Steubenville's elementary schools to find a program that had good evidence that it would help children learn more and then adopt it. A team of Steubenville teachers toured Ohio looking at different models, but they weren't satisfied with anything they saw. One teacher happened to see a news item on ABC News that featured a high-poverty, high-performing elementary school in Texas. It was using a program called Success for All. The teachers were intrigued and found that Success for All was one of very few comprehensive school reform models that had strong research demonstrating it helped kids read. The elementary teachers of Steubenville voted to adopt the program, and it's been in place ever since, almost 18 years, during which time only a few students have had to be retained. Let me just compare Steubenville for a moment to Bexley, Ohio, which is about the same size as Steubenville, but which is overwhelmingly white and wealthy. In 2016, 57% of Bexley's third grade students were either advanced or accelerated in reading. 70% were in math. In Steubenville, 81% of third graders were advanced or accelerated in reading and 91% in math. 
In other words, much higher percentages of students in high-poverty Steubenville are exceeding state standards than in one of the wealthiest districts in the state. If you were to go to Steubenville, you'd be hard-pressed to find an elementary school teacher or principal who doesn't attribute their students' achievement to success for all. So what is success for all? Quick story. After I returned from Steubenville back in 2008, I happened to run into the curriculum director of a large suburban district that had high average performance but quite low performance among children of color and children from low-income families. I told him that I had just visited a school where most of the children come from low-income families and 100% of the students had met state standards in reading and math for several years in a row. He asked where the school was. Before I could even tell him, he blurted, it's not a success for all school, is it? I hate them. When I said yes, he didn't want to hear anything more. So what is this program that could elicit such a strong negative reaction from a veteran educator? Success for All is a whole school reform approach that's uh, designed to try to make sure that all kids are going to be successful from the beginning of their time in school. That's Robert Slavin. He's the chairman of the board of the Success for All Foundation and its co-founder and chief proponent. The notion is that uh, many children in high-poverty schools, which is where we invariably work, uh, are uh, falling behind in the early grades, and then they never catch up, uh, despite remedial efforts and special education and everything else. What we're trying to do is to examine what are all the things that you'd have to do to see that that process doesn't get going to make sure the kids are, are uh, successful. How do they do that? So that has to do then with improving classroom instruction, uh, improving uh, assessment and, and uh, classroom management, improving um, motivation, uh, having kids working in uh, cooperative learning groups to help each other to, to learn the academic material, and then uh, identifying kids very early uh, who are not making adequate progress and providing them with uh, tutoring uh, individually or in small groups uh, to try to catch up the kids who are having the greatest difficulty uh, and then dealing with other things beyond academics uh, that determine uh, success in schools, such as parent involvement, uh, attendance, eyeglasses, if we can do it, other factors that constitute uh, success or that contribute to, to uh, success in all schools, but especially in high-poverty schools, where if one or two things goes wrong, you know, you may be in big trouble. Slavin and his wife, Nancy Madden, are both faculty members at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. They developed Success for All back in the 1980s as part of a partnership with Baltimore City Schools. They drew on decades' worth of research about how children learn to read. Among other things, their reading instruction emphasizes explicit teaching of phonics. In the early days of Success for All, there was a widespread belief among educators that children did not need explicit phonics instruction. So that was one reason educators were wary of it. Success for All is also what is called a scripted program, meaning that lessons, examples, and books are laid out with very explicit directions to teachers. 
Over time, the program has become less scripted than it was originally, but teachers are still expected to teach every component of the program. That also has proven to be a source of friction for some educators who prefer their traditional autonomy. One large component of Success for All is that children should learn together, talk together, and work together, what the program calls cooperative learning, which means active, sometimes noisy, classrooms. Phonics, scripting, cooperative learning. Those three elements have stayed constant, even as Success for All has incorporated new research and lessons from schools. The schools that used Success for All in Baltimore in that initial go-round performed significantly better than other schools in the city. Despite that success, a new superintendent swept the program out. But by then, Success for All had spread to other schools in the country, and it had a track record that has continued. Here's Bob Slavin again, talking about the research that has demonstrated its effectiveness. You know, we have numerous studies of hundreds of schools uh, that are no different from the, the rest of the schools that we serve. And if you compare them to control schools that are serve very po similar populations, and in some of them there's random assignment to conditions, uh, the success for all schools do much better. Analyses and meta-analyses of Success for All have shown that it helps kids learn to read better than ordinary schools that use ordinary textbooks. That isn't to say that Success for All is successful in every school it works in, but overall, students in Success for All schools read better than their peers. I told Slavin my story about the suburban curriculum director. It's not one of those Success for All schools, is it? I hate them. <laughs> Maybe I'm reading too much into that particular response, but I frequently hear something along the lines of, well, of course it works, but we could never do it in our district or would never do it in our district. And you think, what do you mean, of course it works? If you believe that, how is it ethical to do something less for decades now, Slavin has argued that decisions in education should be driven by evidence. In medicine or in, uh, in anything that where we do have more respect for evidence, you know, does everybody who gets a given medical treatment, uh, you know, are they cured by that? Of course not. You know, there are any number of factors that, that uh, come into it. But if you ignored the average, you would be thrown out of the profession. If you said, no, 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 don't have to pay attention to the evidence because some patients, you know, thrive and others don't on this treatment, and I'm going to ignore the average, you would be out of the profession. And in education, that's perfectly fine. Nobody but worries about that at all. Slavin is very well known in the world of education research for his advocacy of evidence-based decision-making, not just about his program. I'm not interested in success for all. I'm interested in success for all. To that end, he and Johns Hopkins University have launched a new website to help educators figure out what programs have evidence of success. The 2015 iteration of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, known as ESSA, encourages the use of strategies and programs that have good evidence that they are helping students learn. Many more programs have such evidence than did back in 2001, and Slavin's new website helps educators find them and see what the evidence is. 
The website is called Evidence for ESSA, and you can find a link to it on our website, www.edtrust.org slash Extraordinary Districts. You don't have to do Success for All. Success for All rates very well in it, but there are many other programs that do too. Pick one. Pick one, because what you're picking right now is ignorance. What you're picking right now is something that came from the publisher and, and is a book or a software or something that's either never been evaluated or it's been evaluated and found to be ineffective many, many times. Slavin is baffled by educators who don't share his understanding of the need for evidence of effectiveness. I can't even quite put myself in the mind of somebody who says, uh, our kids are not succeeding year after year after year after year. So let's keep doing the thing we did last year, or let's do another version of it, or let's do the thing that the sales rep said was going to, you know, it's like, really? Does that make any sense at all? But that's what happens. That's what, you know, that's day in and day out. That's what happens in the vast majority of schools. In Steubenville, educators deliberately chose Success for All because of the strong evidence that it helps students learn to read. And Steubenville's success in helping students learn to read and do elementary school math has put it at the top of the country in achievement. But even Superintendent Melinda Young, who thinks Success for All has been enormously important in the district, says that it's not just about a program. So let's go back and see how Success for All works in Steubenville and see if we can figure out what else it's about. Well, this is the start of it all. <laughs> so this is preschool. This is preschool. We are, we've been five full days since 1990. We, um, we follow the, our, the curriculum like the rest of the school does. It's called Success for All. We start here with the basics, calendar, we do labs. Um, everything's differentiated to the child, whatever level they're on. So I'm the special needs teacher in here. So we have special needs kids integrated with the typical kids. That's Melissa Karras, who has been a preschool teacher since the beginning of the program, even before Steubenville adopted Success for All. At first, the preschool programs were only for children with disabilities, but today Steubenville has 11 preschool classes and they are open to all children. They all use Success for All or, as Ms. Karras calls it, SFA. Um, SFA is amazing because they cover every single domain that's required by the state. Superintendent Young estimates that 80% of the eligible students in the city are in Steubenville City Schools preschools. And we're actually going to continue to expand. Um, we've had waiting lists every year, and we opened an extra unit out at West last year, but we've got a commitment from the board that we'll do whatever it takes to um, not put kids on a waiting list this year. We'll probably open a, a new preschool unit in the high school. Wow. Which the high school principal was actually excited about it. He actually said, I can definitely give you one room I might be able to give up to. The reason you could hear me saying wow in the background there is that most high school principals would not be happy about giving up a room to a preschool class. I couldn't help express surprise. I asked Young how Steubenville pays for its preschool programs. And she said some of the money comes from the district's federal Title I money, some from a grant from the state of Ohio, and the rest from general funds. But she added this. I don't think the pre-K cost us anything, because I think you get so much back. She considers preschool to be key to Steubenville's high performance in elementary school. So what are they learning in preschool? Let's go back to Ms. Karras. All my kids 
usually can recognize um, letters in their name. They're able to count to 20. Um, some are, like I said, some are writing more, more advanced. They know their shapes. We sit them, we sit them how to sit, how to raise their hand, how to answer questions in a full sentence, how to um, get along with their kids. Success for All has partnered with Public Broadcasting's Sesame Street, and it uses many of the letter sound videos to teach preschoolers. Every night, preschoolers and kindergartners take home a 10-minute DVD to watch with their families. Here's Superintendent Young again. Having a stable program, curriculum, whatever you want to call it, going from pre-K through 8 really makes a difference. In that same academic language, that same um, expectations of what's going to happen year after year, I think that um, gives kids comfort, and I think it takes a lot of um, the outside influences away because they know what they're going to get in reading and math every single year. Let's do our next one. Ready? Shh. Out. Shout. Shout. Excellent. So let's go ahead and Joey talk it. Shh. Remember, SH says that's a kindergarten classroom in West Buglisi, one of Steubenville's three elementary schools. It's usually just called West. If you walked into pretty much any kindergarten in Steubenville that day, you would have seen some version of that lesson because the teacher was following the Success for All program. Similarly, all the third grade math classes were working on finding the area of a rectangle, and so on. And that's what many teachers say they don't like about Success for All. They say it's too scripted. But in Steubenville, they disagree. Here is West's principal, Lynette Gorman. She was a second-year teacher in Steubenville when Success for All came in. And so for me as a new teacher, it was you know, pretty easy. It was scripted. It was like, oh, it was more of a relief to have a guideline to follow, um, a format to follow, because I was more or less winging it anyways. I mean, you had you know, your lower reading group. OK, bluebirds, come back to the kidney table while everybody else is doing spelling and busy work and then we need the red birds next so you know once SFA came that was no more so for me it was almost an easier adjustment um, but I think the seasoned veteran had a difficult time uh, adjusting to the format of success for all um, the scripted lessons um, and just they felt at the time kind of just a loss of the freedom to just teach whatever you wanted to teach in the way that you wanted to teach it. Edie Boyd, instructional reading and math coach at West Elementary, says there is more freedom within success for all than is often recognized. Like, we would encourage a, a new teacher to follow the scripted lesson. Mm -hmm. And then after that teacher becomes more comfortable with that framework, mm -hmm. the second, third year, then is where they begin to tweak it to make it work for their students and for themselves. So it's not as scripted as what, you know, I think that is believed that people perceive it to be. But the idea that there should be a system of instruction and not just every teacher teaching what they wanted when they wanted is something that Richard Ranallo thought was important about Success for All. Remember, Ranallo was the federal grants coordinator when Steubenville adopted Success for All, and the following year he became superintendent. The way he expresses this idea is by saying systems elevate averages. There's no question that systems elevate averages, and if you get people to work together in a system and get a belief system that they believe in it, then there's no question that you can elevate averages. And the thing is, is if you have a system that goes grade level to grade level, 
it's less adjustment for the learner, and you see better results. Success for All is definitely a grade-to-grade level system that has a lot of research behind it. But Steubenville outperforms even many Success for All schools. What's that about? One thing you may have noticed about Steubenville is that it prizes stability. Many of the educators are Steubenville natives. They call themselves part of the Steubenville family, and they are committed to their community. And in that community, which has undergone great economic change over the decades, they have stuck with Success for All for 18 years. That means that teachers aren't continually learning new programs, but are able to really dig in and put this program to work. But there are other things that emerge when you listen carefully. I was fortunate to be able to sit in on a session where coaches from Success for All's national headquarters were working with teachers and leaders at West Elementary. I think we can hear some other clues to Steubenville's success in what was said that day. In this particular conversation, you can see the emphasis that Success for All has on helping students develop their oral language. The coach is talking with kindergarten teachers, helping students build complete sentences with details. But she is also talking about the kind of data the teachers need to collect on student performance so that they can help individual students grow. Let's listen in. So in the morning when you're walking in, I'm looking at my grades and I'm saying, all right, Lisa is a 70. She's still only producing one word. You know, Tracy is a 90. She needs to be adding more detail so that I can have that in my head. So every day there are a couple kids, I say, hey, tell me what you're going to do in labs today. What's your lab plan? Blocks. I'll say, all right, let's add, let's put that in a complete sentence, mm-hmm. right? So that's my mm-hmm. prompting for you because I need you to move from word to complete sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get you to 100 overnight. Now this one, I can move to 100 because she's already at a 90. Mm-hmm. So when she says, I'm going to the blocks, I might say, <laughs> <laughs> all right, tell me, tell me some more. What are you going to do with the blocks? Because my data tells me she's close to 100. Now, if, if I have a 70, I'm not going to sit there and keep prompting her and prompting her. I need her to be a solid 80 with a complete sentence. And when she does that independently, then I'm going to start working up to the next one. That's why having their true grades in my book really differentiate my feedback, because I know what you really can and cannot do without me. Several things struck me in this conversation. First, you could hear how the kindergarten teachers welcomed the coach's feedback. They had seen the coach in their classrooms watching their instruction earlier that day, and they knew she was giving them feedback that was specific to them. Second, a great deal of time is devoted to gathering accurate information about student performance so that teachers can provide specific, immediate feedback to students. Third, and maybe most important, this was part of a very serious, ongoing conversation about instruction. Few kindergarten teachers in the country have opportunities to engage in this kind of discussion. In Steubenville, teachers engage in that kind of conversation regularly, both when the program's coaches are there and when they aren't. But the teachers weren't the only ones receiving feedback that day. The coach also provided feedback to the principal and the school's instructional coach, and I'll play a little of that. So the successes that we that we have learned about and, and seen today is that the tutoring is in place, mm-hmm. um, lots of different tutoring, mm-hmm. meeting lots of different kids. Um, you're down to one roots room, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. With very right? mm-hmm. just a few kids too. Yeah. Yep. Um, solutions teams are up and running. 
maybe not mm-hmm. perfect, not the, the way, way I want, want them, them but, mm-hmm. but they're up and running. When you hear the coach mention that there is only one Roots class, she was saying that there are only a few kids left in the first grade who are still learning the very basics of reading. Everyone else has mastered the basics and moved on. You also heard her mention solutions teams. These are school committees that tackle specific issues such as attendance and cooperative culture. Other schools might call cooperative culture discipline. The principal had told the coach she was having some trouble with students being referred to her office for discipline issues, and the coach had some ideas about how to improve the cooperative culture team. So that's where you, as the leadership team, sit down with the lead of the cooperative Mm -hmm. culture team and say, you know what, I get to see the whole building. You guys live in isolation within your grade level for the most part. Right. So here's our data from last year, Mm -hmm. and you put it out and say, so our highest number of referrals are from the bus or for fourth grade. Which one are you going to tackle first? Right. Now I'm going to play you Principal Gorman's response. I noticed a couple of things that, to me, demonstrated the ethos of Steubenville's educators. See if you notice them, too. And again, I would, I would say to Edie or to anyone, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, the buck stops with me. Because truthfully, in that particular committee, that should be where Edie and I are coming in with the agenda initially mm-hmm. laying out the data to say, okay, here's where we were last year, last quarter, yeah. whatever the case may be. This is what we need to fix up because they don't know. Here are the things that struck me. First, the principal took responsibility for the fact that the team that was supposed to tackle discipline didn't know the full scope of the problem. She provided no excuses. She simply said that the buck stopped with her. Second, she demonstrated the deep sense among Steubenville educators that data and evidence need to be the basis of every conversation about solving a problem. The underlying idea is that there are always solutions, but you need to understand the data to understand the problem. In other words, Steubenville's success is not just about a program, even a program with as much evidence behind it as success for all. It's about the deep incorporation of the clear-eyed use of data and evidence by classroom, school, and district leaders, and the deep sense of responsibility they bring to educating their students. Or, as Bob Slavin said, There's no question that that the combination between a good program and good implementation are what, you know, that's the magic sauce. So I think we've seen at least part of why Steubenville is so successful at the elementary level. It's what I call a combination of program plus culture. But there's something more to know about Steubenville, and that is that the success of the early grades has not automatically translated into as much success at the secondary level. Here's Sean Reardon, whose analysis we are using as the basis of this podcast. So it seems like there's something leading to high success in elementary school and then very little improvement in performance after that. It puzzles me, uh, and, and people ask about it because it's sort of a, this visible outlier on the graph. In our third and final part on Steubenville, we're going to see if we can figure that out and hear what Steubenville educators are doing about it. In the meantime, I hope you'll check out our webpage, which has lots of links and resources, www.edtrust.org slash extraordinarydistricts. This is Karen Chenoweth. See you next time. (music) 